0: Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect
1: listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman.
0: Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben. And today we have a special show for you because we have a special guest. We have Tony from Kaleo Media on, and we are so excited to dive into a show all about dove hunting today. That is going to be our main topic. We will get to know him a little bit before
1: we start. Before we dive into all of that, we need to give thanks. I'm thankful for um, people. We talk about connections a lot in our show, and over the weekend, I actually had uh, a guy come in to help coach um, my son and a lot of the kids that play boss- basketball with him, and I learned a lot from him, like the way he facilitated the kids, the way he coached. Um, just his his demeanor, um, it was refreshing. And I don't when I walked away from their practice, just watching it, I just felt like, man, I don't know. Just he was bringing in, um, I'll just say the good vibes. But I just want to thank those connections uh, when people are out doing what God has called them to do, and you get to experience it and be around them. Um, it just feels right. It feels good. So thank God for that, and and thank the people that are actually following what God has told them to do. You know, watching people not. Put their talents, the things that
0: God has gifted to them to waste is always a beautiful thing to watch. What I'm thankful for um, is time, and in particular, time with my family. We always think there's another minute. We always think there's another day, another week, another year, but we don't truly know because all time is God's time. He put this world into motion, and He will someday stop it. He is in control of all that, but sometimes I find myself annoyed or irritated even with the people I love the most like my children and just some days it just you just have a hard time especially those people you spend a lot of time with like you Ben sometimes I just want to kick you to the curb but I, for some reason I keep keeping you around but there were some small moments just doing life together this weekend even though there were times of frustration for instance we had a we had a sick chicken and this chicken was so sick she was suffering and it was time to do the ethical thing and euthanize this chicken and I included my five-year-old son in that. And just the lessons and the questions and the conversations that came afterward from that, I could have never foreseen. But just because we got to spend time together, God orchestrated really growing my son and making my son more like Christ, giving him an understanding of creation and the processes that he put into motion just because my son and I got to spend really just a few moments doing life together. Tony, would you like to share thanks today?
2: Yeah, I'm... Super thankful for fathers that are present, you know um I've worked in a lot of different type of ministries um over the years, been a part of uh, a lot of different after school programs, and I was fortunate enough to have a dad that was present. He wasn't all the time, you know, like we would love to be, but um when he was he he really was, and so you know my life would be completely different if I didn't have a present father main being that main reason being is that it is a reflection of the heavenly father. You know, he wants to be with us and he wants to, he wants us to be present with him and he wants to be present with us in every part of our life, whether it be our family life, our business life, our work life, um, hunting even. And so, um, you learn so much and you can also teach so much when you are present. And so thank God for fathers that are present.
1: Now that is some good truth there, Ben. Yeah, Tony, that's, you know, we talk a lot about being present as fathers, and I do want to give clarity in this that we're not saying that dads are supposed to be with their children every second of every day, because that'd be a blessing. I, I truly wish my children could be with me. Um, however, the being present moment is when we are with our children, when we're away from work, when we're away from our duties, and we are at home with our family or, or even out somewhere with our children— we should be present. And I think that's what you're truly talking about there, Tony, that you are intentional, like uh, intentional, sorry, intentional. Um, it does take practice because you have to have an awareness that you're not being present. And then when you're being present, you have to listen with intent. And that, that can be really hard. But Tony, that's, that's yeah, that's really good, man. I'd say let's get to
0: know you a little bit, but that's a pretty good introduction to your heart. But we will ask some, some little more laid back questions so that our audience can get to know you a little bit. Oh, we're actually hanging out in your garage today, so we appreciate you letting us take over your space. We had some construction going on outside my house where our studio is, and so you were even offering your space and being on the show today. Well, this is an
1: awesome man, Kate, man. Tony's got it
0: all.
2: Oh, man. (laughs) I've been been blessed beyond what I deserve, that's for sure. Yeah, haven't we? Haven't we Glad to get to share it with you guys.
0: Well, first of all, Tony Khalil, Khalil Media, you really have worked uh, your whole career has been uh, in media in the outdoor world. Can you tell us a, a little bit about how you got started in that and maybe just a little bit of your experience?
2: Yeah, I started back in 2013 working for Bass Pro Shops Video Production. And so I really cut my teeth within working in the outdoor world and not just being a participant in it. And um, back then, so I worked for them for like five years and then felt the Lord lead me. Uh, out to start my own business and into the wilderness of uncertainty, but just trusting his, his, his word and what it kind of felt like he was doing. And so I started Khalil Media then. And, um, honestly, it's just been provision after provision. And that's kind of been honestly, um, more rewarding than the finances that come. Um, it's just watching him come through. And so, but yeah, been fortunate to work with a lot of great brands and a lot of great people. And nine times out of ten, it wasn't just for the paycheck; it was to really to pour into people and see God work in something that was way over my head, way over my head. And so, getting to see the fruit of what God was wanting to do has um, been a lot of fun. And within the video production world, and um, but yeah, been done. Whether there's product videos for boats or doing, um, some hunting shows or doing a lot of fishing shows. I worked a lot with, uh, a lot of the Bass Pros, uh, team that are, that have been part of Bass Pro and even after working for Bass Pro Shops, but, um, really love the outdoors. It's always been a part of my life and, um, I'm so glad that I still get to be a part of it.
0: Yeah. It's really cool because You are such a creative, and you are you're so talented. But you also have this passion for the outdoors, and it really doesn't matter what your skills are. The outdoors, there's still a spot for you there. Whether you like to write or do videography, maybe you maybe you just love to run a chainsaw. Like whatever your the outdoors is God's creation, and the skills that His creation has, there is a way to match them up with the outdoors, and it's really cool to to have seen you make a career out of that. I will say this. You are crazy talented. We have talked about Tony on the show before. Uh, If you listen back to, uh, we interviewed the guys from Whetstone Boys Ranch and Tony came up and then we were on their show. If you want to go listen to a Time to Sharpen podcast, Uh, and we talked about Tony there. And We've also given thanks to Tony a lot of times on our show without actually naming Tony, but he has helped us actually get started. He's helped us with our audio. And then just to testify to how talented Tony really is if you've ever seen any pictures on our social media and thought, holy cow, who made Brian and Ben look good? Well, that was Tony. Yeah, he can do that. He's so good. He can make us look good. Uh, he has taken some some really good stills for us and we love to utilize those on our social media. So thanks for doing that. Um, and you really are like, you're just crazy talented. But even more than that, You've been so generous and kind to us, and we really appreciate that, we're so excited to finally sit down uh, at a table across from you and and get to know you a little bit and share you with our audience.
2: Well, thank you for that encouragement, Brian. uh, It is a... uh a fruit of the Holy Spirit and is a fruit of the Lord's work, and it's awesome to watch that all kind of fold out
0: absolutely, amen. To that, well, let's get to know you just a little bit. Where are you from originally? Did you grow up here in the Ozarks?
2: No, I didn't actually. Uh, so I'm originally from Bentonia, Mississippi, and that is a, a no-name town in Yazoo County. People are a little more familiar with Yazoo City, uh, home of Jerry Clower, if anybody heard it. <laughs> oh, yeah, ah! <laughs> so uh, yeah, I grew up in Yazoo County. In Bentonia. and so my parents had a little 45 acre spot, kind of in the in the plateau side, not quite in the delta. We're 15 minutes or so from the Yazoo River, 25 minutes uh, east of the Yaz sorry of the Mississippi River. And so I grew up in the delta, I grew up in the in those kind of hilly areas as well. Uh, that's part of Mississippi. So uh, I moved to Missouri back when I was 21. I was um, working at a place called Camp Barnabas here in Purdy, Missouri, and uh, working with special needs kids at a summer camp there. So worked there for two years and then ended up at a church uh, in Ozark one Wednesday night. One of our two forges was kind of our break uh, time during the during the season of, of Camp Barnabas. And uh, some guy was there talking about uh, a discipleship program called Master's Commission, and I had never heard of it and was just... I felt like the Lord called me. And so uh, I was dating some girl in Kansas City and dropped her and moved uh, in, uh, in, in 2003, uh, loaded up my 92 Cutlass Sierra with my guitars, amps, and whatever clothes I had, and a couple fishing poles and, and came up here. And so I moved to Ozark and did master's commissions for, th- for three years and then worked on staff um, with uh, North Point Church as well with uh, worship ministry. And also worked at James River uh, for our sk- a skateboarding ministry called Hebron, which is on every Monday night. And so we did skate ministry for about eight years within that. But, um, but yeah, I got up here and moved, and, and uh, kind of the rest has been history.
0: Skateboarding. Now that I knew you had a lot of talents but that's that's a new one on me. You can skateboard?
2: Well, I'm a I'm more of a a rollerblader, but I can definitely do skateboarding as well, but I did I did I did compete uh, with rollers rollerblading like street and park for about 6 years. And so um, back in Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Philadelphia, Florida. Um, but yeah, my younger years just being crazy. Yeah, a little boy from uh Yazzie County, Mississippi.
0: That's why you had to hit the jump on your snow skis.
2: 100%. Yeah. So <laughs> long story short, um, I grew up going to Breckenridge. And as a kid, we would load up in our bus from First Baptist, Yazoo City, and take a ski trip uh, to Breckenridge. So we'd all load up and our our uh, counselors and whatnot would drive us out there through the night and everybody would fall asleep going through uh, Kansas because everybody doesn't like watching Kansas for that long. It's pretty for a while. <laughs> But so anyways, uh, if you can imagine uh, a 15-year-old boy living in a double-wide trailer in Yazzie County, his entire wall of uh, his room is covered in skiing magazine pictures and a couple photos from those trips and stuff. So my dream actually was before doing any kind of worship ministry or even um, video production was to, to be a ski patrol guy. And so... Ski um, patrol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I went to, went to Heinz Community College and and started my pre-med stuff and getting through there. And then, uh, I got into skating and, uh, I got heavily into, into worship ministry and everything kind of fell by the wayside. So discipline is not necessarily my strongest suit. (laughs) (laughs) It's still something to work on, but, uh, but anyways, uh, my wife and I both love to ski. We were going to ski for our first time for our, our kind of our fifth year anniversary here, just in March and, uh, kind of first trip away from the kids and was up at the telluride and um yeah first day uh skiing uh i went up bombed a bunch of blacks real quick and (laughs) my legs were feeling kind of buttery and then i would pick up ash and there's like we're on a green right by our resort like 100 feet and there's this little kicker that some dad made for his kid i'm sure and i just jumped and landed in my heels and landed on my butt and then just caught an edge and i tore my Mm. acl and pcl fully and then partially tore my MCL-LCL. And so, yeah, it, we're four months post-surgery, praise God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm walking and doing really well. Had a nice uh, PT this morning before. Um, but, yeah, that's 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 the ski jump issue right there.
1: You know, <laughs> I'm not laughing at your situation. It's just it's thinking about from rollerblading to, you know, um, when you're doing those types of activities, when we get to the age that we get to, I think our minds still think, we got all that in it still, you know. Yeah,
2: I, I'm. I just turned 40. Uh, literally, like post surgery, was you know hobbling around, and um, yeah, I'm. I'm not 25 anymore, right? At all.
1: However, I will. I do want to say that, um, man, everything that has happened to your leg from after surgery, like you seem to be healing really quickly. Yeah, so praise the praise Lord God for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, Tony, you actually told us that you kind of told us everything that you did when you got here, but. What brought you to the Ozarks? Was it? Why did you come to Car- Camp Barnabas? To yeah,
2: absolutely. So I I actually was working at a special needs camp in Mississippi uh, for about a year um, in the summer, and one of the other um, workers that were there had heard about Camp Barnabas, and and it was ours is only like a week program to two week program. Camp Barnabas is a nine week program, and so um, prayed about it, felt good about it, and so I came up here and worked for two summers. And that's kind of how I began to um, really fall in love with, with the Ozarks in the first place. Wow. Yep. Um, you know, coming up Highway 65 south, coming up heading north and all that kind of stuff, and just my mind being blown by Arkansas and the and the lower part of the Missouri part is um, really, I was like, man, this is nice. It is. This yeah. is real nice. Is.
1: And that's and you kind of already told us a little bit about um, what you had done there and, and kind of what you wanted to do as a kid, but... We may have heard it already, but what is your favorite outdoor activity?
2: That's a tough one. Missouri's really good because they have they have literally almost everything you want, including now recently elk hunting if you get the draw right. Mm-hmm. Um, at, or black the, bears or and black yeah. bears, yeah. So the, at the pet conservation area out there, um, you can you can put in for a draw out there for some some elk out here. So it's pretty cool. But um, I fell in love with morel hunting actually. Um, I had a friend of mine, Nate Sims. Um, he's also a fellow believer and photographer and he kind of introduced me to it. And, and, um, that one's pretty, t- I love that. I look forward to that. I really look forward to trying to figure out, I'm looking at ground temps and seeing when things can happen. But the other thing would it would be duck hunting. Um, coming from Mississippi, it was always, um, a really expensive sport down there. And you really needed to have, all the things together and we didn't grow up poor necessarily, but we did grow up um, not as, as affluent as as it would take for some of those things. And my dad really wasn't a duck hunter, but anyways, I had a friend from Arkansas. Um, We went and hunted at fellows Lake, which is a local lake here in Springfield. They have a couple blinds and literally first day out, I shot a green winged teal and it was all over from there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm about 15 years into duck hunting now here in Missouri. And um, it's something I really look forward to. If you, if you guys were in this man cave right now, you see, I've got duck decoys. I've got a, a, boat blind up above hung in the ceiling. I've got my duck boat outside. Um, I'm actually part of Delta waterfowl here in Springfield as well. We started a chapter called route 66 waterfowl chapter and we're two years in. And so duck hunting's um, a big thing to me. And, um, I really, really enjoy it. I love taking my son. We went out, um, just actually there's a river behind us I'm not going to tell you guys exactly where, but anyways, there's a nice little duck hole out there. Oh, and we know where we're at, Tony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, uh, I took, I took Cohen out and just let him, let him experience that, and he, he's, he's ate up already. Yeah. He's only, he just turned five, so it
0: doesn't take him long. All you got to do is take him. That's right. And 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 let God do the rest. He'll he'll bring him in and and get him addicted to the outdoors, just like all of us. Yeah. You know, this is probably uh, a tough question for you because you are a well-traveled man. What is the favorite place that you have ever traveled to?
2: Mm. I'm gonna answer that in two. Two, two, two answers for that. During work for work, it has been the San Juan Islands off of the coast of Seattle. Um, there's a, like six to seven different islands that are right off of um, I think it's called Anacosta area. They are just uh, west of Seattle, and it is like. Um, it'd be like basically the mountains just kind of pop out of the water in these areas out there. And, and, um, it is, there's like orca whales everywhere. There's a lot of deep fishings. Pink salmons are running out there. Silvers are out there. Uh, out there, but we did some boat shoots out there and that place was just magical for a workplace. Like literally we were in our tower boat, which is a type of boat that we use for video production to shoot boats from a higher, a higher platform, like 15 feet up in the tower. Um, cause we shoot boat to boat and we're out looking towards these um, kayakers that are about uh, almost 600 yards away from us. And there's these orcas kind of going over and, you know, it's ecotourism, that kind of thing. So we're, we're staying back away, but you see them finning and coming up and that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden we hear <sighs> and literally like five feet behind the others on our port side of our boat, there's a pod coming right over us and under us. So I'm only like, literally I could have touched this thing's fin as it went down, um, underneath our boat. And so it's just a magical place. The other place would more than likely be, it'd be, it'd be Cape town, South Africa, that area. Um, it was a really awesome place. You can do a lot of things in South Africa, uh, not just Cape, but Drakensburg mountain ranges up that way. You can go to Kruger national park and, and literally drive a BMW through if you wanted to, or do a safari style. Um, and then going to Cape Town itself and, and, and just watching, the, the, looking at the beautiful scenery that's out there, Lion's Head, Table Mountain, um, running down to the Cape and, and going to that kind of f- most southern part of Africa as well. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing place to do a lot of amazing things. You can even go, that's where you, if you guys ever heard about the the great warts, the great white sharks that breach in False Bay, that's, that's right there. There's Fish Hook Bay and then False Bay. Um, so it's just a, it's a pretty neat place that God put together.
0: Is there bass fishing
2: there? You know, I don't think so. <laughs> um, no, no.
0: All the neat places I know of have bass. So. In Good Japan, how about
2: that? <laughs>
0: no, it does sound like an awesome place. You know, I kind of want to tie all this together because we, we brought you on to talk about dove hunting, but you are, obviously you've had some amazing experiences. You mentioned Delta Waterfowl and all of your travels, and you have recently had an opportunity because of a Do- Delta Waterfowl fundraiser. To go and travel on an awesome, like one of a kind dove hunt, and that's why we really wanted to have you on because most people aren't going to get to experience this, and you did, and we want to hear all about it. So, kind of give us an introduction to this trip that you just went on, how you came about it, how you tied it to Delta Water Waterfowl, uh, just the whole story.
2: Yeah, Brad. So uh, Delta Waterfowl does a fundraiser, and th- there's chapters all over the U.S., of course, guys, and so. Uh, I would definitely recommend if you had a buddy that's like, "Hey, you want to come to the Delta Waterfowl um, fundraiser?" You should go. It's now,
0: a- now that's a guilt trip because he's asked us to he go, is, and yeah. we didn't go before. Yeah, yeah. So I, I even had a table for you guys,
2: <laughs> free meal and everything. But, uh, but yeah, so they had a, they had an auction for a, a shoot down there in Cardoba, Argentina, and that's with wing. I think it's porter wing shooters out there. And so, uh, of course, I think they split the funds, basically, whatever's raised on the auction. They split the funds with Delta and then also with um, wing, pointer wing shooters out there. And so my, my next door neighbor, Matt, and I uh, bid on it, thinking we're going to take our wives. And so we actually won it. And so um, and then the wives were kind of like, well, uh, you know, kind of hemmed and hawed. So why we, don't
0: you boys go? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. And so we ended up uh, taking Matt's uh, dad, Charlie. And then a good friend of mine uh, named Chase Kelly here in Springfield, and so we went down to Cardoba, Argentina. And I think the travel down was like 26 hours down, which is a good um, a good little haul. But you know what? If you got a good book or some podcast, even you mm-hmm. know, um, you can load them up and and just enjoy the enjoy the trip down. Because I mean, really, like I love my kids and I love my business and I love my wife. Um, honestly, I wanted. My wife could come for sure, but that wasn't an option for us. But it, you know, at the same time, there's some there's some man time you need to have in a good structured way um, to just stay wild a little bit. And I don't mean like wild bad, but I mean like adventurous in spirit. And so you know, like one of my good wise friends said, "Hey, buddy, uh, don't ever get too domesticated because that's why she likes you." Yeah. You know. And so I was like, you know, that that's that's a good word. So yeah, we we went to Cordoba, Argentina, down there, and had a wonderful time. Uh, stayed at an awesome lodge down there. It was just the three of us. I'm sorry. The uh, three bedroom lodge down there. Uh, they, they cover all your meals and it's like fabulous cooking. Uh, I know probably people people have heard about Argentina barbecue, which they would do that in the field. And so a typical day would look like you'd wake up in the morning, you'd have breakfast and they would have uh, people there that were cooking for you at the actual, uh, resort, not really a resort, a lodge. And then uh, you'd go out on field, take about an hour to get to wherever the places are. I think they have like, I think they they said like they have like, six hundred plus dove fields that are that are leased in that area, and so um, ecotourism is a big deal in Argentina.
0: I'm just looking for one. Well, oh, I'm know. looking for one. Dove. I know <laughs> you and me
2: both. We thought about that as we came back. Yeah. We're like, we need to invest in trying to find a a dove field yeah. uh, for the future, and so anyways, ecotourism is a big ecotourism is a big deal out there. Um, they've got about 50 million doves that are down there. U S has about 250 million, but the space that we have in the U S is, is far greater than it is down in Argentina. And anyways, but it is decimating the crops. And so there's a bit of the lack of conservation that they have down there on the public specter. What we do have here, we have a better control over here in the U S. And so they, use, they try to offset that deficit by, ecotourism. And so they, they do these hunts. There's all sorts of outfitters that are out there, but a typical day would look like get up, do breakfast, go to the the dove field. take about an hour or so to get there, depending on where it's at. And then you just, you would pair up with a buddy and they'd have a full brushed in spot. And they also have a field assistants there. And so you would have your own personal field assistant for the week. And so like he would have drinks for you. He'd load your gun for you. And at first I was like, I've never, I grew up in Mississippi in a double wide trailer, you yeah. know, hunting and, and, uh, this is all kind of crazy places out in the Delta. And I'm like, ain't nobody loading my gun. Uh, well,
0: don't touch my gun.
2: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But, uh, you're going to, they're going to be there whether you like it or not. And honestly, it was super nice. Uh, it was a different experience. And it wasn't like, uh, kind of a butler type experience, but it was more like, It'd be like your best friend that was got your back. He's your second set of eyes. He's your second hands. He's telling you, hey, you got some coming from the left. They're coming overhead. They're coming to the right. Hey, wait for a minute. Helping you shoot. Uh, Taking care of you on that level. And even, I mean, honestly, I was uh, two and a half months post-surgery on my ACL. And so, like, he cut me a stick so I could, like, go through the dove field and and not trip and that kind of thing. So there was a lot of care that happened like that. So you'd shoot. As many as you could ever shoot at. I mean, there's so many doves out there. And this wasn't even like the real crazy season, which people have, if you've heard about Argentina dove hunting, it, it gets pretty wild. Like one of the guys that I talked to post uh hunt that's here in the States, he's like, man, we, sh-. there were a couple of days we shot a thousand doves, a thousand doves.
0: I haven't shot that many in my whole life.
2: Yeah. It's easy. It, you, I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so there's doves everywhere. There's more than you could ever shoot at. So you know, I was trying to be conservative, honestly. Like My goal was to like see how many 15s in a row I could get. So that's like limits in a row. And and to be honest, I wasn't as accurate as I was hoping I was mm-hmm. going to be. Um, they are hard to hit. They are hard to hit. They are very hard to hit. Um, it's still considered, I think it's one of the most underrated game birds that mm-hmm. there really are. Um, but anyways, you, you'd hunt, and then at, they'd break at lunch, and then they have these Argentina barbecues right in the field. You're like, under a grove stand of trees. They have like literally like white tablecloth out there, wine glasses, water, beer, whatever you want. And then they are cooking over just an open flame. And, um, anyways, so they would have like your beef, they have chicken, they have pork, they have sausages, uh, they would have grilled vegetables. And then they had this thing it blew my mind. And you guys are going to get to eat it today. So they don't know it yet, guys that are listening. But <laughs> yes, I made them. We are in I'm for making a surprise. them surprise. Yeah. I'm making them kind of a pseudo Argentina so you're barbecue. You're guesting on the
0: podcast. You're letting us use your man cave and you're cooking us lunch. Yeah. This, yep, yep. this is the kind of guy Tony is. I'm yeah. telling you.
2: But they had this thing there that just we were all like nuts about. And there was this other group of Texas boys that were with us and they were in the same way. And this this chimichurri. It's called chimichurri. And so people use it in all sorts of different ways with that spice blend. But what they do is they take olive oil, they take red wine vinegar, and they take white distilled vinegar and they take this chimichurri packet and they mix it all up and kind of like a dipping sauce. And so they would have like fresh bread or they would just kind of put it over the flame and just kind of toast it a little bit. And then you'd eat this stuff. And I'm telling you what you would want to put it on everything that you ate because it's so good. So you guys are going to get to experience that. I got tri tip (laughs) today. I've got uh, mushrooms, onions, red bell peppers. They're going to be cooked, and then uh, we've got that chimichurri sauce with a little bit of sourdough. That's after the podcast. After the podcast, all right. That's a wrap, guys.
0: Let's go. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, anyways, you'd fill up on all this stuff and eat and eat like a king. It was amazing. And so then after that, they'd already have these hammocks all tied up I was going to say, trees. is there nap time after Oh, this, there's cause nap time. Because the doves really aren't flying from that noon to two-ish time anyways, right. even in Argentina where there's so many doves out there in that in that concentrated area. And so, yeah, you take a little siesta and maybe scroll through your photos or whatever else and just kind of enjoy the sun coming on you and, and fall asleep. And then they'd wake you up and be like, hey, we're going, and then they'd move you to a different spot and set you up. And so then you'd shoot through the afternoon, And usually in around five o'clock and I mean, your shoulders done, you know, you've been shooting, they really shoot 20 gauge a lot. That's kind of predominantly the round that they would like to use. They use these most of the time, eights or sevens or seven halves, um, on that. And so anyways, you shoot and then go head back to the, the lodge. And when you show up, there's literally, uh, servers there with like fresh drinks and a little snack and, uh, give you a little hand towel to wipe your hands off and wipe all the GSR residue off your face and everything else. And then you go in and have a little snack and then get, get showered up and get ready for dinner. And so, like, they would have uh, awesome fire pits out there and you can enjoy just hanging out with your buddies and that kind of thing. And then you'd have dinner, which is another just wonderful course of meal. And then finish the night again, next to the fire or inside playing cards or whatever you want to or just talking the night away, which is what we ended up doing a lot of times is just talking, talking, talking all night and just having a great time. And so you just repeat the process. And so we did about seven hunts. So it's, uh, two mornings, two evenings. And then we did another morning before the day we left. Um, but it was a fabulous hunt. Um, I want to say that, Which the cool thing they did at the very end, which I was not expecting, was they actually had stats. And so every every one of your gunmen or your field assistant would have a clicker. I didn't really know it at the time, uh, probably till the second day that I realized he had a clicker. And then like the third day, his clicker broke, and I was like, "Uh, okay, well, you know, you're not going to count my birds or whatever. So we ended up just throwing it up, and I shot it out of the air uh, so he could get a new one. I was like, you get a new one. And so, um, anyways, but they did our stats. And so I want to say, uh, I didn't shoot as many birds, like I said, as, as the other guys did. And as well as I think our group, just because of the season, October is really the burn time. Um, they got all those new broods that are coming through, uh, in the summertime. Um, so they have a crazy amount of doves and it's not just, they have morning doves. They also have what's called an Inca dove, which is a little smaller. And then they'll also have all these crazy pigeons that are out there. So they're, Again, decimating all the crops, but anyways, you shoot them and you just, you would shoot so many birds, this amazing amount of birds that you would, you would kill. And you just, again, I think we only had like a couple lulls that were just like 15 minutes I didn't see something. And then all of a sudden it's just more and more and more and more birds. But anyways, the stats. So I think I shot like 441 birds during that time.
1: Wait, 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 wait. You shot 441 birds?
2: Yeah. 441 birds.
1: So, yeah, I don't think I've actually even killed that
0: many in my lifetime. You know, you and I went dove hunting recently, Ben. And if you counted every bird of every species that we saw in two days... Every bird! Every bird, it wouldn't add up to four hundred. 41 birds. So well, is there not limits and regulations? Or no, is it they because, don't have any limits or huh.
2: regulations on that. And so that's, that's the, the real kicker with going to Argentina. This other stat was really cool. They actually took like how many birds you had. And then they would calculate like how many years it would take for you to get in Missouri, which most, most popular, I think most conservation across the U S is 15 per, per day. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were doing like an average kill, you know, kind of thing. But it took like seven years for me to kill that many that I did just in those seven days. Other friends of mine, uh, I want to say someone shot like 661, somebody shot 675, uh, some of the Texas guys, they got really into them and they were kind of hitting those thousand over a thousand marks as well. And so it was just crazy to see the the amount of years that it would have taken you, uh, to do the same thing here in seven days. And so it was awesome. Um, I had some reservations about the trip when we bid it cause I just know, sometimes that's really expensive. It can be for just dove hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have no reservations now for sure. Like I'd love to take Cohen when he's 10. He's good, you know, under the foot to be able to go, you know, for 26 hours down there and back, that kind of thing. Um, and I think he would really enjoy it at that point too. So
1: you killed over 400 birds.
2: Yeah. Just say 450.
1: Okay. Let's just say 450. So that means that you took at least 450 shots. So are you a hundred percent?
2: No. <laughs> what, so they, what was your stat? My accuracy was 42%. That's actually really good,
1: man. Good job.
2: Well, I was hoping to break 50. Um, so you my shot goal, over a thousand rounds though. Yeah. We That's shot through some boxes. Yeah. I even... think I shot 42, 42 boxes of shells. And so uh, one guy shot 96, if that helps any, but he also got the shot 675, but his percent ratio was like 28%. So I believe it was like the lowest was 24.
0: Still, still pretty good when it comes to doves.
2: <laughs> yeah. Twenty four, twenty six, twenty eight, and then forty two. Um, my goal in life, honestly, would be able to take at least maybe two boxes. But if I could shoot fifteen for fifteen in Missouri or wherever we are in the U.S., like I'd feel pretty good about myself. Uh, I know that's a hard thing to, to do, but I, I think there are people that are out there who have done it. But that would be a lifelong goal to be able to get fifteen for fifteen.
0: Mm-hmm. What kind of crops are they decimating? What are they? What are they growing in Argentina that these doves yeah. are so?
2: So they've got, um, I want to, for sure they have corn, uh, which they call maize down there. And then they have, um, soybean. They have wheat. They have, um, I want to say they have some type of millet. I don't know what they're doing with it down there. Mm -hmm. Um, as well. I want to say, what else was it? They do have some other like, um, green bean type produce as well down there. Um, but that would be the predominant. They also have tons of peanuts, Hmm. lots of peanuts out there. They would actually like to try to, honestly draw birds away from their fields they would harvest like i don't know how many acres worth of peanuts and put it right next to their their farm area where their where like their tractors and implements are um and they would just lay waste to those birds to try to get them to come in just to kill off some of them i mean that's how i want to say the word bad but yeah it is a problem you know for them
1: well and that's why i mean you you sharing this today it is so different than here in the ozarks like how how amazing would it be to see that many birds come through, right? And and to even get to experience in one day hunt, you know, you did for seven, and seeing that many birds, that yeah. many days, we just don't have that here. And 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 I I respect our government agencies that are going to be like, hey, we want to provide this opportunity, but. Our species, it isn't like that where where it is for you. And maybe that's because of weather. I don't know. But what was the weather like down there? Was it like the Ozark weather or completely sure.
2: in, uh I went down in August, so um, it was their winter season, actually, this time of year. And so we ended up, I want to say we had some nights that were in the 40s, but most of the days were like right in the 70s. We had one hot day at 80, so it was pretty good hunting and weather. Uh, but they still have a full summer range. They have a full spring range. Um they're south of the equator quite a bit. I don't know if you guys realize, but Argentina is a long way down there. So I talked about Cape Town, South Africa, which is the the, the most southern part of Africa. The, uh, Cordoba is, I want to say, mm, I may be wrong here, guys, but I'm pretty sure it's almost almost the same amount of distance on the, on the equator uh, south. Uh, and then there's a whole other section that gets into Patagonia, gets into Chile and that whole area that is... I mean, they, it goes so much further south than South Africa. Um, and then you run right into Antarctica. That's that's the reality of it. So it's a long way down there. Um, so they still have a, a pretty strong uh, four-season deal, but I want to say it's a little less than uh, – I don't think I heard anything about snow in that particular area where it was. But they still have those 30 and twenty 23-degree degree days um, as well and can have that. Um, but they also had a pretty dry season this past two years, which is I, I think also a, a little bit – of why the brood wasn't as strong as it usually is uh, during that time frame that we were. Again, more birds than you could shoot at, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you really could get your fill. So,
0: Tony, you went down there and had this crazy dove hunting experience. And when I say crazy, I mean crazy awesome. And so much so that you were kind of regretting spending the money, then you had the experience and you are like, that was totally worth it. Then when you get home, you pretty much roll right into dove season, Missouri. And have you been out yet this year for, for Missouri dove season?
2: Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it for the world. <laughs> so, um, one of my PT goals was to be able to one, get to Argentina, but number two, take my son Cohen out. Um, Cohen and I went last year when he was four for opening day as well out in Bodart conservation area. And, um, just to literally show the contrast difference. Uh, we shot three birds. We saw three birds and shot three birds. So I felt pretty good. I was hundred yeah. percent on those hey, three. percent.
0: You're, you're looking for, uh,
2: but this round we went to Aldrich, which is a predominantly, well, I'd say historically a really good spot. It's right there near the waterfall refuge off of Stockton. And so when we showed up at five o'clock, um, there were like maybe 60 trucks. And when, by the time we got done, uh, and out, it was 86 trucks out there. So they, they, they've got conservation agents out there and I always talk to them every year about like how many people we have, how many birds have been killed, that kind of thing. And it's a great spot to hunt, but it's very populated right now. And so there was almost 186 hunters out there in this, in this field. And so, yeah, Cohen and I went out as well as my buddy Chase that went with us to Argentina. He brought his son as well. Who's, um, I think he's about to turn six. And so I'm pretty sure we would have limited it out if we weren't trying to wrangle a five year two five-year-olds. Uh, but we had a good time. It was it was good for us to go as dads to hunt, but also to continue to introduce our kids into hunting and, and be present in those moments and, and really help them. Like, I mean, you know, there's nothing like kind of break a kid in when you gotta when you gotta pop a head off a dove because it just won't die. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've knifed <clears throat> him several times, but he just didn't die. And the pigeons there actually were really tough, and that was that was kind of uh, eye opening for the kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, th- those are the lessons that are important for them to learn. They're going to learn them somehow. So they're either going to learn them from you or they're going to learn them from the world. And we get to choose that as parents. So I like to make sure that they learn it from us.
2: So yeah, we ended up, um, I shot 10, couldn't, found eight, um, which is always a bummer when you can't find them. But uh, praise God, didn't get any triggers, but it was pretty thick in there where we were. So we were kind of shooting on on the field line, but behind us was trees. And in between the trees and the field line was about 15 to 20 foot of like just, high head, high grass and trees and brush and scrub and that kind of stuff. And so we, uh, I definitely found eight that were mostly there. I think I only shot like three or four that were out in front of me. Uh, but the kids, you know, were able to go pick them up and, and, and kind of go through that process. Actually, my buddy's son was a little timid about it, but by the time we got done, um, he could go pick one up, which is a huge win, you know? And so Chase, I think he shot 11. Um, and he also shot a pigeon, and so, um, anyways, it was, it was worth it. I think we could have totally got our limit if we didn't have the kids and juggling, but I mean, I'm, I, I felt pretty good about it with yeah. the circumstances. It's,
0: it's more worth it to take the kids. I mean, it, especially with young kids, if you take them fishing, you take them hunting, you are sacrificing some effectiveness, but the value of what is really provided in the relationship between you and your kid and then what they are learning, um, I mean, it's more than they learn in school, to be honest, and it's it, it's more important things. It, it isn't, I mean, math, social studies, all those things are important, but true life values with a man who fears God uh, can't be understated at all, and us meant to be outdoors, our whole mission is to connect people to the outdoors, so hearing that you guys are taking your kids out at a young age is so awesome. How in the world did you get started dove hunting, Tony, and what would you recommend? What are some tips for people that want to get started? It is dove season now. Goes all the way through. Uh, I think November, or November, yeah, November. So there's still some time to get out if you're hearing this and you're like, "Holy cow, that sounds like maybe I could give that a try." Uh, tell your story about getting started and some tips for some some folks to go try it themselves.
2: So we lived on 40 acres, um, and our next door neighbors had like three or four ponds around it, and then they also they usually grow grew soybean. And it was a little again, kind of a hilly hilly area where we were, but um, they didn't mind. You know, a little eight-year-old kid running around with a 410 uh, out there at all, and sometimes I could, I could meet up with them and hunt and that kind of thing. But I was far enough away, and there was plenty of field to get around um, that I could get some hunts in.
1: So 410 was.
2: 410 was a, yeah. started off on a with Good a job. bolt yep. action Mossberg 410 had had a little clip in it. Had dropped two in and put one in the chamber, and so I had a poly choke on that thing, and uh, it was my dad's gun, and I think it was like his uncle's gun prior to that. And so ran around out there. Do
1: you still have it today? Do you still? I do. Oh, I, and sweet. Cohen,
2: yeah, actually, I, when I took Cohen hunting, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier for duck hunting, down in this hole down here, we actually shot him with the 410. And so took him took it down there and, and shot that one. Which steel shot with 410 is really hard to find. So I'm just saying, if you guys are ever anywhere and you see steel shot uh, for 410, grab it while you can. Especially the turkey loads, too. Um, if you got young kids or want to kind of get into that 410 game when it comes to turkey hunting, too, you want to grab them when you see them. But uh, yeah, grew up, grew up shooting out there. And um, honestly, there wasn't a lot of kids where I lived. Um, so like my nearest friend lived 30 minutes away in Benton, Mississippi. And so what, during during dove season, we would be bumping kind of back and forth where it'd be in Benton, which they have a lot more ag over that area as well. And we would hunt every Saturday morning. Any like Dove season was always something we always got together on uh, throughout the season. And I mean, literally my backpack, my school backpack had four ten shells in it, and sometimes I'd have to, you know, remember to pull them out before yeah. going to school. So that,
0: that doesn't fly today. No. It doesn't
2: fly today. It's a way different world, but, but yeah, I mean, it's always a part of our culture uh, growing up in Mississippi, and so we had some friends from church as well that had a bunch of catfish ponds. Um, I will say this, Mississippi does have a good dove population. Texas has an even better dove population, but... Uh, if you ever get to hunt on the levees of a catfish farm, it, catfish farm, you can do, you can do some damage and, uh, it's a lot of fun out there. Minus when they get in the water out there, cause they got a lot of water mocks and still that time of year. Um, but it, you know, growing up shotgunning is kind of been a passion for mine. Um, I can shoot rifle pretty well. I'm not as good as I am with a shotgun. And I don't mean just like, I don't deer hunt with a shotgun. I don't really, I don't think that's necessarily the most ethical thing to do. Um, there can be a lot of, a lot of problems with that. But, uh, when it comes to shotgunning though, I've always just loved, 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 uh, shooting birds with that. Yeah. And so, um, that's always been a, a prevalent thing for me, uh, even during the season, during after school, cause we live right there. I could walk mm-hmm. out, take my gun and go out and, you know, shoot five or six birds to eat for the, for the evening. Yeah. And so the other part was it with my dad, you know, that was a really strong memory for me, um. I can I can literally remember the smell of pulling everything out of the tubs, the smell of dad's jacket, the smell of like I mean literally the old feathers that are stuffed in the game bag. Um, the I can literally hear the rattling of that uh, spinning five gallon bucket top seat that you put on mm-hmm. it and everything else and, and trying to scrap the around. The swivel top. The swivel tops, yeah. so that's right. And um, I can vividly remember uh, my first hunt with my dad. And so we were back on our neighbor's property. On they had a pond out there with a couple dead trees. And um, anyways, I can remember getting up early with dad. He had his his Remington Model 1100, and I had my 410. And we're tucked in there. And it's kind of it was actually kind of a chilly morning, believe it or not, um, which is not typical in September in Mississippi, but. It was and sitting up on that pond and, and waiting for those birds to come in and I'd fire off a shot at something to miss and Dad get him you know kind of thing but uh he always whenever we'd go out whether it would be fishing on the pond or, or it would be dove hunting together and even deer hunting he'd get like a doctor pepper and he'd get peanuts and he'd drink like 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 three quarters not three but like maybe half or less than half of, of the doctor pepper and then pour the peanuts in and so you know, he did that very thing, and and uh, we shot. I think we only shot like six or seven doves that day uh, out on that pond. But it, it's just something you you'll never forget, and you will always remember just dad spending time with you. And I mean, he would open up, and we would he, he would like God help us help us to get what we need today. You know, just opening up that uh, perspective of of God's provision, the perspective of prayer, even in something that people just use as a sport, um, and is showing again that reflection of the Father's care and the Heavenly Father's care that He has for us. And uh, my dad was really good about always bringing that to the table, um, which is, you know, a bounty for a, for a soul, you know, especially for a kid's soul. And so um, I've been very blessed in that way, and I did the same with Cohen. Um, and we, he's learning more and more, like, you can, you can try to make it on your own, and people get by far enough, but there's nothing that compares to God's provision Um, whether it be in hunting or work or life, um, there's nothing like God's provision. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And trusting that provision too, because I I know there's times in my life where I always want more. I want more, this, I've got this, I know you gave me this, but is this enough? But just truly trusting that you have what he wants you to have and that it is a blessing because you didn't deserve a bit of it.
2: Right. And if you kind of think about migratory birds, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, we went teal hunting, um, down in Tanikomo, which is not terribly profitable all the time. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot of fun just to kind of do the thing. We actually saw two wads of blue-winged teal out there, and I won't say where they were. They were just on the lake. Um, but I was like— They were flying. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a beautiful day, um, that kind of thing. And I always try to—he's not saved, so I try to bring up things about about God's provision. And I was like, you know what? To think about it. To think the fact that we just saw a group of eight and a group of 12. We were within 100 yards of these birds— There's 23 miles of water out here. Mm -hmm. And the fact that that I prayed and asked God to provide something, you know, in the sense of I still got to make the opportunity to go figure it out. But the fact that they're near me, the fact that they're sometimes right overhead and I can take them, that's kind of crazy to think about, especially when you talk about migratory birds, including doves, including ducks and geese and that kind of thing, like... That's kind of kind of kind of crazy to think it about.
0: Is. Yeah, they can go anywhere.
2: They can go anywhere. Yeah, they and they're coming to you. That's uh, that's one thing I really love about the sport, uh, whether it be uh, wing shooting sport, whether it be dove or, or dove or duck. It's it's, it is a thing of God's provision.
0: Well, as followers of Christ, we are called to glorify Him constantly in everything that we do, whether it whether it be our work or our families or even our recreation time and so i think that's kind of what what you're doing there is just that keeping that perspective of gratefulness and and glorification to god the father who all things are and all things come from so love that love that perspective i personally have a hard time of always staying in that perspective because i want to catch another fish i I want to catch the big fish i want to shoot the big buck i always want to see the deer when i go dove hunting i want them to be flock after flock just going over me you know and it isn't always like that but if you have the perspective of you know what. Ben, you and I just got to shoot at one, but we got to shoot at one. We shot five times and didn't get it, but we got to shoot. So that just having that perspective of, you know what we saw one to shoot at, that is glorifying God, that we had the time to go do that, that we had a place to even go. I so often find myself getting down, well, I don't have a place that has cornfields and sunflower fields, so I don't get to go do this, but... I still do. Is that really what your gun. inner dialogue
2: sounds like? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. he does. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is. But
0: you, I want to touch on a couple things that you mentioned. You mentioned 410 mm-hmm. and 20 gauge. Yep. So maybe for a listener that isn't super familiar with shotguns or, or wing shooting, can you kind of explain the gauges of shotgun that are allowed and are effective for dove hunting?
2: You bet. So 410s, is what I mentioned. It's a smaller caliber. Uh, it is the smallest caliber of the shotgunning world. Then you will have, um, I believe, it's sixteen gauge, and then all, which is not as popular. It's kind of making a comeback, but not as strong as four ten by any means. Then you also have the uh, twenty gauge, which is what I predominantly used. Um, a friend of mine told me a long time ago. He's like, uh, when he's talking reference to uh, dove hunting and duck hunting, he's like, I'm just not mad at him anymore, and uh, I kind of went into that to that realm. And then they also have the twenty-eight gauge, which is the most balanced, accurate load. Period. But there's a cost with that. Uh, they're relatively a lot more expensive on shells. Um, might help you with accuracy, may not. But you got to you got you got to do a lot of shooting to get and, there,
0: and tougher to find too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: And then you also have 12 gauge, which is a great load. Um, you just shoot those in two and three quarter inch shells, and you're going to shoot two and three quarters almost all the way through um, on all these gauges. Minus a 410, you probably want to shoot a three inch shell. Then there's the 10 gauge, which is the largest, uh, which is not something you want to shoot dove with.
0: Right, that's the largest legal that you can use here in Missouri. You can use a 10, but there might not be a lot of dove left. No, there's not going to be dove left.
2: Absolutely (laughs) not. not. Um, but the 20 gauge, the 28 gauge, the 16 gauge and the 12 gauge, you're going to shoot two and three quarter inch shell. Um, the 410 you're going to shoot a three inch and pretty much across the board. You're going to either shoot seven, seven and a half or eight ounce Mm -hmm. loads on those. Um, Shot, sorry, not ounces. Yeah,
0: and on the shot, you're referring to the actual size or diameter of the BBs that are Correct. coming out of the shotgun, right? And some of those
2: they'll have like seventh eighth ounce, and they'll mm-hmm. have one ounce. One ounce is a little heavier. It's a heavy dove loads, they call it. Um, you're welcome to shoot either one of them. The other thing that they also have with these conservation areas is they'll have a steel only or lead. Right. Uh, what they I call believe non toxic, non toxic shot. Yeah, which is your steel. Lead does have toxicity to it, as we know. Um, and especially near some of these conservation areas um, that are near waterfall refuges and stuff like that, they're gonna shoot non-toxic shells. Mm-hmm. What do you use in Argentina? We use lead. Yeah, yeah it's, it's cheaper too.
0: Yeah, I always recommend before you go to any public property here in Missouri to check the regulations because some require non-toxic shot and some do not. The steel shot that is non-toxic it shoots a little different it shoots a little tighter pattern so you may even adjust the choke that uh and a choke is responsible for how tight the pattern is if uh, the bb's are really spread out or if they're tight together you may need to adjust that if you're shooting steel another thing is we have three species of doves here in missouri and depending on where you hunt they may be more prevalent prevalent than other areas but the eurasian collar dove and the white wing dove are a little larger than the morning dove So with that size shot that you mentioned, I recommend staying down below the eight, like around the seven or seven and a half so you can take down some of those larger birds. The smaller the number, the larger the size shot that is going to be in in your round.
2: Right. And they make a six um, as well, which is a really good balance load. You can even shoot teal with the six as well uh, on steel shot.
0: Yeah. What choke do you shoot out of your 20 gauge when when you're dove hunting?
2: Well, I'd say, I say it kind of depends on the area that I'm in. If I know that I'm like a short distance, I'll stay, I'll stick with a modified. And if you kind of shoot with a modified all the time, you'll kind of know where, where, where your shot streams at, how big the pattern is based on steel or lead. You kind of get a little easier read. Um, again, I grew up on 410 with a poly joke. And so I've got a tighten that thing down a little bit to get a little further out right. based on where these dubs are flying. And so
0: because it's a smaller shotgun, it doesn't reach out quite as far. It doesn't have the same effective range as correct. Say a 12 gauge.
2: And it does have an effective range. I mean, you can kill birds with four ten all along, but mm-hmm. you can't shoot those birds that are 50 feet up, right. you know, uh, up high. But, um, but yeah, I typically use uh, improved modified, which is a step up from modified and that would be modified, improved modified, and then full choke. A lot of guys shoot full, uh, so, they can get those kind of farther shots when those birds are flying high during the days.
0: When you say a lot of guys, those are guys that are better shooters than Ben and Brian. Yeah. I got to stick with that modified <laughs> yeah. or improved cylinder if I'm going <laughs> to yeah, hit some birds. Yeah, especially
2: if you're starting off. And honestly, like sometimes when I have new guys, I'll do uh, improved cylinder. Yep. Um, that's a great starting point, uh, but I would always try to move. Move to you know move in the pattern to get to improve modified.
0: Yeah, they they say about five yards effective range each choke that you go up. So you have cylinder, which is almost wide open, then improved cylinder, another five yards, modified another five yards, and improved modified another five, full another five. Generally speaking, when you're talking about game loads that that we're using for doves,
2: and I've seen guys use uh, extra full before and. I don't know. You get a close-range bird, it's done. You're yeah. not even eating that thing anymore. And so there's a bit of like wisdom to say, okay, you know, I'm, if I'm going to eat these things, let's 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 be a little open in the choke.
0: Right. Now, there's a tactic for doves. Really, I don't know if you've ever done this one before. Have you ever utilized falconry?
2: You know, I never have. <laughs> I think it would be amazing to see though, because that would be, you know, when I'm we're in California um we'll go to these resorts or whatever and they'll have falconry guys out there that are hitting pigeons and all kind mm. of things and it is amazing to watch
0: yes it is on our bucket our, list to is, get into yes. we've i've Absolutely. actually been looking into Ben and I have been fortunate. We got to work with with some falcons and, and hawks and even eagles in, in some of our past work. Yeah. And I've been able to train at World Bird Sanctuary before and actually work with a falcon that was in training for falconry and, and do some of the drills with it. And so I would love to get approved as an apprentice and get my own bird someday. We're going to. We're, we're going, going to. to. We're there, gonna... There's a lot that goes into it as far as inspections and, and actually building the mews, the facilities to, to take care of these birds. But you can actually legally in Missouri... Pursue doves during dove season with a uh, with a bird of prey, but you can only do three a day. So the limit is not very many. Wow,
2: that'd yeah. be a lot of work for three birds, but it'd be pretty awesome to watch. I heard that like that uh, apprenticeship. It's like there's some there's some years to that, right? Oh
0: yes, it's it, it's you have to find a sponsor first, someone oh, to be okay. an apprentice to, and and usually you have to go through the whole application process, build your muse. Like you have to show you're serious before people will even consider you so it takes some work to absolutely get involved in it
2: wow and i guess you could double it as a business too at the same time if you wanted to yeah
0: definitely yeah especially since we're meant to be outdoors
2: there you go (laughs) uh
0: you know there there's more to just the the gun and the shells that goes with dove hunting it's an awesome sport because you can take your kids. You can take your wives. You can train dogs. There's other benefits. you getting ready for waterfowl season. I bet you feel tuned up now Oh yeah, and into waterfowl season. Between
2: Argentina and shooting out there at Aldrich, which is a war zone, uh, yeah, I'm, feeling, I'm feeling pretty froggy. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a good time this year.
0: That's a great benefit of it. What is some of the other gear that, that people should consider or that you would recommend that maybe you don't necessarily have to have but makes a trip more comfortable and more effective?
2: Yeah. Ear protection is huge. Um, we ended up buying, uh, the ear protection that has the, the speakers in it. So you can actually hear your buddy talk. You can hear people say things to you, but at the same time, once the, the decibel level gets to a shotgun, it cuts it. And so, uh, that's really handy. I actually bought my kids some as well. Cause you really want to save their ears through the years. You know, um, the, if you hunt every season, you're around guns a lot of the time, you really do need to use ear protection. I would say that my ears are not as good I didn't grow up with that as much, right. uh, but I wish I would have. And now my son will definitely have that. The other thing is eye protection. Um, you can use sunglasses if you want. Use shooter's, shooter's glasses if you want, which has a kind of a yellower tint, which is your higher contrast for the birds um, as well. And so I would definitely use that, especially in public access areas. Cause there's just, there's a lot of stuff flying around. Right. right. Um, you know, whether it's a wad that hits you or, you know, you get peppered from some guy halfway down the field, just having that little bit of protection. I mean, you, you if you get hit with a BB, it's it's not a good day at all. Um, the other thing, um, they have several types of decoys nowadays as well. Um, so you can
1: did you guys actually use decoys at in Argentina? We
2: did not. No. Um, the only thing that we ended up using at all was after we shot a bunch of pigeons. We they cut a limb down, shoved it in the ground, and shoved a bunch of pigeons on there. <laughs>
1: That's a good decoy. Yeah, yeah.
2: And they just shoved them on there, and and it helped drew, draw in some of those pigeons to us. Um, but here in the U S they have clip on decoys that you clip into a corn husk or put on the ground if you want, or clip into a tree, especially like a dead tree is a really good place to, you know, uh, doves really like to come to an open space to, to roost for a minute or take a rest or come spot out the field before they come or go that kind of thing. And so you can use the clip-on decoys. They also have spinning wing decoys as well, which is kind of similar to like a mojo a mojo for duck hunting, which basically is like a dove decoy with wings that are on a rotor, and they just turn white, black, white, right. black, or white, gray either way. Right. They also have something called flock a flicker. And so basically it's a small four-inch puck with the same um, type of motor, but it just has one wing on it, and it sits on the ground. It just spins uh, in a circle kind of creating that same effect of like a bird lighting in into the area. And so those are some of the decoys that I've seen used.
1: Now, Brian, you're actually telling me uh, something you would found um, that worked really well with, with like, uh, clothespins. What was it again? Well, then?
0: yeah, some people will just take cardboard or even a piece of, a sheet of plywood, and they cut the shape out of a dove and just kind of paint it gray, a little eye. Yeah. It's kind of rough, but they just clothespin it to a fence line
1: or something. Yeah, that might work too.
2: Yeah, silhouettes have definitely been part of hunting for a long time, actually. Uh, any type of waterfowl, you're going to see... Um, the technology or at least the idea of a 2D uh, silhouette type of decoy to draw in in, into the wing shooting uh, opportunities. So um, when it comes to retrieving the birds, you know, a dog is awesome. No doubt. There were several dogs working out in Aldrichs. They didn't have any in Argentina. Now, there were dogs out there that were eating pigeons and stuff like that. that yeah. were just kind of wild.
0: What do you need a dog for? You had a personal assistant.
2: Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> well, he's got to load my gun. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's literally that fast. Like when you're down there, it's crazy.
1: No, but for real, like back here in the Ozarks, uh, we do have retrievers. You took a couple yep, uh, and you talked about they are, uh, they did a great job at retrieving your dove. Your they, they were like five and six <laughs> years old. Or...
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, my kids, they do great. And, and honestly, that's a, that's a huge part of hunting, especially mm-hmm. is, is retrieving the birds. And so learning to shoot a bird and make sure to watch it fall. And you know where it's at. I don't know if you guys have, have ever experienced this, but even in a bare tilled field, with no debris or corn debris or anything like that, it, those birds they will disappear. Mm-hmm. And so, um, teaching kids though at the same time, like, hey, I'm gonna take one shot at this bird, knock it down. I'm gonna watch it, and then I'm gonna go get it. Or in this case, you go get it. That's good, yeah. Um, and being helping them be aware of where other hunters are, making sure that people they're being observant of where people are shooting, or if there's other people that are um, gonna be over in this way that's gonna could be a danger if they shot. Is really important process of, of teaching these kids how to go retrieve birds as well as for yourself
0: right you know I think that's a really good thing to, to point out because I have been with people and I have seen others that they'll shoot they'll down three four or five birds before they ever go to retrieve and it does not it is not a law that you can't do that however The law is that we have to go through every effort, every reasonable effort to ethically retrieve our game. And I think that to do that, you should go after each down bird and just not get greedy. Because even doing that, like you're saying, you will lose a bird or two. Even if you just go after each one that you down, you don't really want to lose birds. You want the meat. You don't want to just be out there shooting and killing things. It is good to not get greedy. Go after each bird rather than waiting after you've shot three or four.
2: Yeah, because even those birds that we shot that were in that tree line in Aldrich, like, um, I spent 15 to 20 minutes looking for, for birds, and I found them. And then I spent 15 to 20 minutes fi- looking for birds that I didn't find. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of twofold. One, due diligence, like you just said. Number two is don't shoot back towards the trees, because a lot of times you're going to have a hard time finding those birds also we got chiggers out here and they're bad and ticks. We which still I, got ticks going. We got yet. ticks still going right now. And so if you haven't sprayed on your saw, your products or whatever else, like you're going to be in for a real bad problem uh, when you get home, if you're covered in chiggers. So shoot in the field, try to stay out of the trees.
0: What's your approach to camo for dev hunting? Cause there's kind of two camps. Like there are people that go all out and then I'm going to be in the second camp I've worn like a brown t-shirt and blue jeans before. I don't get too crazy. Uh, maybe a camo t-shirt and a hat and I'm I'm good to go.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, if you're being still and not wearing a white t-shirt or something like that, just a dark color uh, pattern or no pattern at all, just a dark color and being still, they're not going to really flare that much. I also always shoot in the shadows. I don't really shoot front lit. I saw guys <laughs> that got there at three o'clock in the morning, set up right in the sun. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Just yeah. not doing it. It's You're staring in the sun. Your eyes get tired quicker. Um, honestly, just fatigue happens when you're doing that. Um, and when that sun gets higher and higher over those trees and you're staring at it the whole time, you're going to miss more birds and they're going to see you, especially if you're going to need to move. So they will flare. And in a super competitive environment like that, where we had 180 plus people out there, you kind of need to play play it smart on some of those aspects. You may not get as many birds, and hopefully, they're not going to have as many people out there next year. They they always it's a free world; they can go do it. The conservationists can't really do anything about how many people come out there, right? But I'm going to hunt in the shadows. I'm going to stay cooler. I'm going to stay out of the out of the light, um, and, and the birds are not going to see me as much.
0: That's a really really good tip. That's something that we try to do. Not even just dove hunting, but just hunting in general, even fishing, targeting yep. those shadows, uh, game of all species are like us. They want to stay cool and out of the sun uh, because it's hard on them. And obviously it's concealing you too.
2: Yeah, the other thing you want to take is for sure is something to sit on. Um, They have all sorts of dove chairs now. They have some that fold up and kind of looks like a stadium seat. Or, I mean, I've even seen guys take a metal chair out there. They just got what they need, but you need something to sit down on um, and put your things on, whether it's your shells, you can put them right next to you. If you're, if you have like a a game belt or a bag or a vest, you can put shells in, but having a place to sit down is really, is really comfortable. Also gets you a little lower uh, center of gravity in the sense of like you're lower. So your, your angle of hunting is a little better than when you are standing. Um, there are times you're going to want to stand up and shoot, no doubt. But when you're in an environment like a big public dug field, you're only going to be able to have so much angle that you can shoot and be safe and not shoot towards someone. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think sometimes that people don't think about that and they really kind of minimize their opportunities just by standing up too too tall.
0: You know, Tony early dove season, we mentioned it starts September 1st here in Missouri goes all the way through November. In September in Missouri. It can be hot. I mean, sometimes 95 degrees. Do you ever take a cooler to,
2: to preserve your game? I do. Um, I take ice packs, or just leave the ice in the bag. Uh, the other thing too is, if you have ever have plucked wet birds, uh, when it comes to doves, it's kind of it's kind of not the, my favorite all the time. And so, if you can put like either uh, a Ziploc bag or like a good Walmart sack or something to throw your birds to keep them dry in. Because the other thing is, typically when you come out of these dove fields, especially that real real popular one, is you're going to show these birds to the conservation agents because they're going to check your shells, check your gun, check your birds, right? They're going to check your license too. But, um, anyway, so keeping those birds dry, keeping them cool is probably your best bet. Now, granted we've probably all done it. We've had them stuffed in the back of our vest until the day's over, but be mindful of that, especially those really hot days. Cause those birds will spoil if you're out there all day long.
0: Yep. Yes. Yeah, some, some people I've never had to do it, it cause I haven't hunted when it's super hot, but some guys will even, uh, they'll actually pull the innards out before they throw them in on ice just to make sure that, gives you another
1: step of not letting them spoil, even if they do start to get a little warm. Tony, you talked about a license. Um, What's a guy need? Uh, sure. What are we purchasing before we go out?
2: Yeah, you're going to need your small small game license. You're also going to need your migratory permit as well. Um, I believe those are the two that you need. And great thing about Missouri and technology as well is, that, um, you know, back in the day, we used to have to go to Walmart or go to <laughs> yeah. FF, MFA or some kind of gas station that happened to have licenses that they would sell. And you kind of go through that whole um, process, but now they have an app and you can do it online as well uh, on your computer. And you can buy those the night of and the morning of, and have that ready for you. And uh, I would say this, if you're in areas that you know you're not going to have cell phone service, I would take a screenshot from your phone, from your app, of those of that that permit, and it has your conservation number, your conservation ID number, and your license number. And take a screenshot of both of those things. Keep it handy with you. And sometimes you can even just take a picture of your um, your license as well, your actual physical license, so they can kind of match all those three things up. So it makes it easy for the conservation agents to get you processed and through, and you back to your truck and back home.
1: Yeah, and that's that's actually a, another tip. Um, when you purchased through this app. Um, you have to have your email address in there and it'll actually send you a receipt. And that's something else. When it sends you that receipt, it actually looks like the printed copy that we would used to get at MFA or Walmart in the store. And so you can take just a screenshot of that permit and your are right, Tony, that's for anything, for fishing, for any kind of hunting. I do that for all of that. So when, and in, in the event that we do get stopped, it just makes it super easy for us to do. That's, that's a really good tip. Have you ever shot a banded bird?
2: I've only shot ducks that have banded been banded, ducks. and geese. Hmm. My buddy shot um out of otters actually he shot a banded dove um i want to say three years ago
0: yeah so what when when you shoot a banded one and the conservation agents check you do they give you more information or uh, a way to actually check reference that number because i think you can actually like see a map of that particular bird in every place
2: yeah i believe that you can um i think the last time they took the wing of that bird Hmm. Um, especially when they were doing a lot of testing, what, like two or three years ago, they took a lot of like, especially like the first week of dove season, they would take wings. Uh, they would just snip a wing off of it for, for processing and that kind of thing. But yeah, I believe that you can tell where it's been tracked similar to like what they do with waterfowl.
0: Right. Yeah. Really cool. You mentioned plucking. Oh yeah. And the whole point of plucking is to eat. That's right. So do you enjoy eating doves? How do you prepare them? And did you get to eat any of your 7,000 that you shot in Argentina?
2: (laughs) (laughs) We sure did. Uh, Yeah, in in Argentina, we definitely ate a lot of those doves. I wouldn't say all of them by any means. They end up picking those birds up and taking them to families or they end up making dog food out of them, but they definitely process those things, whether it be the pigeon and the parakeet, which honestly, not parakeet, pigeon or a dove. Um, Yeah, I love eating. I love eating dove. And even in Argentina, we would if we had a a good mess of them, which we always did, they would take them and grill them, wrap them in uh, bacon, or just actually just grill them over with that chimichurri sauce I was telling you Mm. about. I'm sure you guys are getting hungry by now. Yes. But uh, honestly, like here in Missouri uh, and Mississippi both, like I love to use the bacon wrap method. Um, A lot of people like doing the jalapeno poppers. That's another great option for them. Um, I think they're great, but I feel like it kind of takes away from the taste, which is the the premise of why they do that. Right. I really do enjoy the gamey taste of, of that. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the, the best way to cook them is really just take that breath, de-breast that thing out, take your little pocket knife and pull that guy out and just get a hot skillet with a little bit of oil, salt and pepper. I mean, just flash cook it like 30 seconds on one side, maybe 45 seconds on the other, depending on how you like things, just flash cook them. You can even do a cowboy style. If you're like out in the field, sometimes, um, you can just have a little coal fire and just pop them on those coals and turn them over and boom, eat yeah. them up. The other... The medium other, rare. That's always my rare, recommendation. Baby. Medium Recom- rare. Medium rare, yeah. The uh, the other thing that I, I figured out, um, my a friend of mine's wife actually made a pot pie out of them.
0: Oh, that sounds good. Oh,
2: I'm telling you what. I was surprised because, I mean, we always have chicken pot pie, right? But... Dove pot pie is a great option. Just mm-hmm. saying. Put it out there. Especially like, you know, those fall days, a little, little warm pot pie with a little dove in there. It's pretty good stuff. <laughs> it
0: does sound good. One of my favorite ways, it's super easy. You can just throw those dove breasts in some Italian dressing, let them sit overnight, and then hot grill, as hot as you can get it. And again, quick one, two minutes on each side. Make sure that thing is medium rare. Doves are lean. They are migratory. They're flying a lot of miles. There's not a lot of fat on their bodies. If you want to stay away from the gamey, Flavor and texture, cook them medium rare. Uh, It will help a long way. If you can't cook them medium rare because maybe you're cooking for people who just can't stand medium rare meat, there there are those out there, and that's okay. I do recommend going with uh, throwing in the cream cheese and the jalapeno and the bacon. It is really good that way, but it does kind of mask the true wild game flavor, and so you can cook it uh, a little more well done with all those other flavors. Uh, involved you know i want to close one of the greatest things about hunting and, and being around uh, fellow hunters is sharing memories so why don't we each go around here as we close and just share our favorite uh dove hunting memory from from past hunts
2: one of my favorite memories from argentina actually uh, this is just a recent one i had mentioned that they kind of treat you don't quite treat you like butlers out there that kind of thing they're not necessarily that type of mentality it was more family oriented to be honest with you it felt like you were their favorite nephew or favorite grandson and they just kind yeah. of treated you that way right. um and anyways one of the things that the guys did um they pulled me in because they knew i was competitive and trying to shoot uh, well and didn't necessarily care how many a shot but just wanted to shoot well and so they had one of their guides say hey tony his name was tata and so he's like, Tata, Tony, come over here and we'll have a, we'll have a competition. First Dove wins, you know, that kind uh-huh. of thing. So they get me all fired up. And I didn't realize that my buddy was filming this other side. And my, 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 my friend Charlie was over here filming the other side. But um, anyways, they, they put a joke on me, actually. And I had never done this before, never seen this before. But they, when I showed up, they gave me a different gun. And they had put just a bunch of like dove feathers inside the barrel just not like not heavily packed but just just enough i'm guessing they've had they've had a, a pretty <laughs> high success rate at this otherwise it'd be blown up barrels yeah. of guns but anyways berg comes over and i pull up and tata's not even pulled up and i shoot and just poof, all the dove feathers and no dove <laughs> fell out of the ground and everybody cracks up laughing <laughs> and i'm just dying it was so funny I but you gotcha. You know, it's just that little tease like that. I'll never forget that. That was a good time. and Everybody's cracking up and it was a good time.
0: Those tease and practical joke moments are one of the greatest things about hunting camps ever. That's why it's so intriguing just to go spend time in camp with with fellow hunters to be outdoors. And and to have those moments of fellowship, it kind of gets your creative juices flowing too because you want to be competitive. So you got to think of that that next prank. But it probably looked like you shot a down pillow out of the sky. Oh, 100%.
2: It just went poof.
1: You know, a, a memory of mine is actually Brian and I, we just went out uh, not too long ago as well, and and we didn't do very well. It was it was really frustrating. Um, I thought we were going to do better. I thought we were going to see more birds. Um, but it kind of goes back to that God gives you what you need in that moment, and I think it, it was actually an awesome hunt. We got to go together, so we got to spend time to really talk about um, things besides work. You know, Brian and I, with Being Meant to Be Outdoors, we're always talking about work. We're always living in the outdoors, talking about what are we going to do. So we got to be out there. We got to sit on the, uh, the. We were under a big old oak tree, and matter of fact, this thing was so big and had so much shade that we actually got to separate. And there was some time where I got to have my own thoughts and he got to have his. Um, you know, one thing that actually reminds me one one of the thing that we took with us. Um, I don't think we talked about it. Is we took binoculars, and what an awesome way to get to to see birds that aren't coming in close and. Um, It got to allow us to kind of see maybe where these birds were going through their flyways and and where are they traveling? Because they're not traveling around right now (laughs) where we're sitting. So, um, but it was an awesome time to get to go out, spend uh, really spend time in God's creation. And uh, no, we didn't get a bird, but I had a blast. My favorite memory
0: of dove dove hunting is going to go back a lot of years. And I was probably a little older than my son is now. Uh, I was, I'm going to say I was seven and my dad and his buddies, they had a, They had a shop, this is up uh, near St. Louis on the Mississippi River, they had a shop and as you drove past the shop kind of down this gravel road, have you ever seen what they divide all the substrate for landscaping companies? They'll have like mulch and rock and soil and they'll have it all in these different bays. They had this huge area of all this landscaping substrate and behind that was the river and in between that and the river was it, it wasn't an ag field but there was ag fields around and it was just kind of all the the weeds that start dropping their seed this time of year and the doves were everywhere they just loved it was big and open there was dead trees from the floods from the river and the old man i said old man my dad was in his 30s at the time they would line up their chairs but they had the kids so they would just sit in their chairs and they would shoot these doves out over uh this field and we were lined up like linebackers. Like it was our race. (laughs) The dove would go down and the kids were out there weaving through just trying to find them. But I just remember how much fun I had. And when I found the dove, it was like I found the golden ticket. You know, it was just, I wasn't even get to shoot, but I was part of the hunt. And that's what I hope to do with my kids. It's just to make those memories that they want to pass on to their kids, because if it doesn't get passed on generation after generation, after generation, there will not be conservation. So it is up to us just to pass it on to one person so that they can pass it on. And if everybody that loves hunting and cares about conservation does that, then we're always going to be okay.
1: You know, Brian, before you wrap it up, uh, something that I learned while really thinking about this podcast, while we were out actually going hunting um, I did not know that you cannot hunt over certain areas. And I think it's important for, for you to really talk about this before we close up and wrap up. Cause if you're interested in going out dove hunting, um, you want to do it right. You want to do it ethical, moral, you want to follow those regulations. So can you tell us, is it, is it legal for us to hunt, um, in certain areas in regards to food and, and, uh, maybe where maybe, maybe you had once maybe threw seed out thinking it was okay to hunt over a bag of seed, but is it, is that okay? So as
0: with anything, there are people who do things the wrong way, and there are people who throw uh, corn. They will bait for doves. And just like any other game species here in Missouri, you cannot bait for them. It is illegal. Uh, What you want to do is find areas that doves like. And Tony has done a really good job of, uh, he knows the stuff, so he's done a really good job of sharing those with us. And I can summarize them very quickly, but old dead trees. Uh, Doves love them if you... uh, Start paying attention to, to dead trees, power lines, fence lines, things that don't have a lot of foliage so that the doves can see. You will start noticing a lot of doves in them. Ponds. They love to be around ponds and pond dams, but they love agriculture. Ag fields, what we mean by that is grain crops. So any kind of cereal cereal grains like wheat, if there's corn, sunflower fields, sunflower fields are awesome. Start targeting those areas. But even just pastures that have native plants that are going to seed this time of year, If they're in a flyway, doves are going to be going down and feeding in those areas. Just like fishing, just like any other game species that you're hunting, you got to find the food. You got to find where these animals want to be. Um, And those are some great areas to target. However, I have heard people recommend and have given advice to plant your food plot and then hunt over your recently planted food plot. And I want it to be known that is illegal. You can hunt over it once it's germinated. So people are planting fall food plots here in August and September. Trying to grow those winter cereal grain crops for deer, turkey, other wildlife. The seeds have to be germinated before you hunt over them. You can't have them just loose in the ground that is illegal. They consider that baiting here in Missouri. But we've heard that advice been been given out before, so I wanted to clear that. You know, dove hunting is a really great hunting uh, It's a really great species to hunt to get people integrated into hunting. One, there's usually a lot of action. Two, it doesn't require a a whole lot. You don't even really have to have camouflage. If you do just have a cheap camouflage t-shirt and a, a $5 camo ball cap, that is enough. Find a shotgun. A lot of people that hunt have several shotguns. Like most people have two, three, four. I'd be glad to let you borrow if you want to reach out. I would let you borrow one. Find a shotgun, find a place to go. It may just be your neighbor's cattle pasture, ask. Most people are not going to care at all to go shoot doves because not everybody dove hunts and most farmers aren't do- out dove hunting. So find a place. There's a lot of public places. A lot of public land actually grow crops just so that you have a place to go dove hunt. They're, they really want you to come do this. It's kind of an easy thing to get involved in. There isn't big gore. You're not having to gut a full-size animal. It is a very good introductory shooting sport. And if you want to move on up into to duck hunting and things like that, this is a great way to train Uh, and you get to spend time with family. It's a great way for kids. It's fairly safe. You don't have to hike miles and miles. It just is a great opportunity to get kids outdoors. If there's any way that we can help you, please reach out to us. Our email is m2boutdoors at gmail.com. You know, Tony, it was a pleasure having you on. We have been talking and thinking about having you on for years now. We've finally been able to make it happen you had an awesome hunt in Argentina and it was just so, so cool to hear about that experience. I appreciate you sharing it with our listeners.
2: Thanks Brian and Ben for having me on. And it's, uh, it's been a privilege and, um, we're looking forward to seeing how God continually builds your guys' business and this podcast and encourages lots of families and, um, lots of other people in the outdoors to get out there and be outdoors because you're meant to be outdoors.
0: Yeah. Tony, you have supported us in so many ways, uh, far beyond what we could have ever dreamt up god has really used used you to serve us and we're so so thankful for that if you are listening to the show and you appreciate what we're doing and you want to support us one of the best things that you can do is the the podcast platform that you listen on just leave us a review or a rating that helps us to go up the charts help other outdoor lovers and christ followers to find our show and helps our show grow also follow along on facebook instagram TikTok. we also have a meant to be podcast Q&A page. It's a group on Facebook. Go ahead and join that. It'll send us a request and, and we'd be glad to have you be a part of that as well. That is going to be it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode between now and that time. We hope that you remember you are Meant to Be Outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandel. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.